Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. When you challenge yourself, truly challenge yourself, people talk about challenging themselves, but are they truly challenging themselves? Have you been in that dark moment where you're crying and you don't know whether you're going to go on or off, but continue or quit? Like that's truly challenging yourself and you're at your absolute breaking point. And I kept succeeding in these challenges as well. So I really want to feel like, where's my limit? How good am I? It's a pleasure to have you on, mate. I've been following your journey for a little while and yeah, like I first came across your blog and then yeah, some of the adventures that you've done, it's been really inspiring and like it shows like a lot of people that look in, yeah, what's possible if you kind of push yourself and challenge yourself, challenge your mindset and embrace challenge rather than fear it. So it's a real pleasure to have you on. And I guess like probably the best place to start is just a little introduction into who you are and what you do, because not everybody like me will will have followed your pathway. Um, just a normal working class guy with a sob story like everyone else, tough childhood, single parent, father in prison, born in the south of Ireland and and we fled to the north of Ireland, like with a pretty heavy domestic situation. And then I grew up on welfare and in County Down and just always dreamed of being free. You know, I was restricted financially, obviously as a kid and. I was always worried about money, even when I was like 10 years old, like I would get 50p pocket money from my granny and I would like slip that 50p in my mum's bag because I knew she was broke. And uh, so even from a young age, I, I hated that. I hated the lack of freedom and I hated that it would stress my mum out that she had no money. So I hated that we couldn't go anywhere, even day trips, let alone holidays. So I just knew that I had to create a life where I felt the opposite of that, where I was in a position to be able to help her, to pe- help the people that I love do what they want and also ultimately do what I want myself. And, and then I did that. I went to university in England, finished at 22, flew one way to the USA the day after my final exam. And I never lived in the UK or England again after that. That was it. Literally the 12 hours after I finished university, I left. I ended up briefly around. I, went, I was traveling around the USA, working on those summer camps and ran out of money. I had to come back with my tail between my legs back to Ireland. And then what really set me up, I did this thing called medical research. Do you know what that is? When they test drugs on you? Yeah, yeah, where you get jabbed yeah. with loads and loads of things. <laughs> I was legit broke and signed up for this thing in Belfast, five weeks, and you're locked, you're literally locked in there in a hospital room. You're not allowed out for the whole five weeks. Yeah, it was shit. <laughs> and they paid, me, they paid me two and a half grand. And with that money, then I paid off my debt from traveling in the States, booked a one-way ticket to Thailand, and then used a grand of it for a TEFL course. It was like an English teaching qualification. 
and then I flew one way to Thailand with that and uh, I fell in love with Thailand 15 years later that's where I am right now I'm in my office here and um, yeah that really changed my life to be honest I fell in love with Thailand during the year teaching English studied the language and then when I started working out how to make money from blogging I was kind of free to live anywhere so I moved back to Thailand So and then Thailand's been my base over the last 15 years I've done the every country in the world thing like rode the Atlantic started doing all those ultra marathons and then climbing all those mountains and anytime I was training or anytime I needed to make some money or work a bit harder I'd come back to Thailand and even to this day that's where I'm based now so like from a blogging perspective how did that first start what what was the motivation behind that and also i guess like the bigger question in respect to the travel as well when people often when people go traveling they go to a few different places and then maybe some travel for a year or so what kept you motivated to ultimately what you're going to become which is the first person to climb all these seven biggest peaks and also travel all every country in the world like there's got to be something underlying even though, like, when I was growing up with my mom and, uh, and my sister, even though we never could go on holiday and stuff, I still would see these holidays where people go to Spain for two weeks or whatever. And even though I could, I, I, that would have been better than nothing, I still, I, I hated the thought of sitting, on, like, on sun loungers beside a swimming pool, hearing the same accent that you heard back home anyway, and that it's a plane full of people from Belfast or Dublin. Everyone's just drinking during the day and, like, and you're just sitting by the pool all day in some shitty apartment in bloody Magaluf. I hate that, that thought of that. So when I talk when I talk about like always dreaming of being free and wanting to travel, like I really wanted to see the world, all these cultures that you just get a little glimpses of. And that was 2007, 2008, I moved to Thailand to teach English. So that, that was pre-Instagram, maybe even pre-YouTube, I don't know, 15 years ago. It would have been, certainly YouTube wasn't what it is now where you're, where you're exposed to all this stuff. So for me, like, that was also a very golden age of traveling. No one, no one's uploading selfies in the same coffee shop that everyone then turns up to like it is now. So it was very pure. So then once I'd finished my year teaching in Thailand, like everyone was going partying. So was I as well. Like I'm a bit of a party boy myself. So we're still doing the full moon parties and all that stuff. Of course, like it's great, but it's not real travel, is it? It's just fun and like wild fun. So then when everyone, like other English teachers, young English teachers in Thailand, they were all just going back to the islands when their contracts were finished. And I flew one way to Bangladesh and then traveled all around Bangladesh. And I knew I wanted to do that. It was always my plan, like to really feel like I'm somewhere seeing something different. And it's not just loads more of the same people, like on these fake adventures. I wanted to feel like I was really living in an adventure. So I was always really interested in that kind of hardcore travel. And also, I was still broke. I was making bloody 500 quid a month teaching English. So I was still broke. So Bangladesh and Sri Lanka and Pakistan and all these countries that are beautiful, they also suited my budget because I was living off like five quid a day or whatever, like six, seven dollars a day was my budget for like a couple of years. So I couldn't be in Canada or Australia. I had to be in, in countries where my, my money stretched a bit further. So, and it was a really beautiful experience. And I'd always been poor anyway. Do you know what I mean? So I, don't, I couldn't have, I'd never been able to afford to buy stuff in my life. So I was just still broke, but still couldn't afford stuff. So it wasn't that such a, that wasn't such a shock to the system. Uh, and then I had a goal really, when you grow up from, when you grow up like in poverty, it's hard to really dream big, big, because your sphere of influence and, and your contemporaries, like there's no one really to look up to because everyone's in the same boat. So, like, for me, I dreamt of visiting 100 countries 
before I was 30. I was like 23, 24, 25 at the time. And that was a, that, that for me was a huge goal to visit 100 countries. I never thought about being the first person in history to do something like, which is obviously what I'm trying to do at the moment. And your self-belief grows as you manage to achieve, like little victories become big victories and big victories allow you to dream that anything's possible. And it's very difficult to do that, like from a shitty background. And then I hope then like, that my story, especially for people growing up without fathers and single parent and growing up in welfare and all that, like I hope then that I can be that guy that I didn't have myself when I was 15 years ago. You know what I mean? When other people are sitting listening to this and they're struggling and they can't go on holiday and they're the, the poorest kid and da 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 da, they can see me and see like, ah, oh, actually, well, some people can break out of that. Look at this guy; he can do it. Like, and I'm just a normal dude. So yeah, that's what I hope that I can provide that I didn't have. So. Once I got to 100 countries anyway, that's when that gave me a lot of self-belief. I was making money online, which blew my mind. I was, I'd been to 100 countries, which blew my mind. And suddenly I was like, wow, I can be the first Irish person to visit every country. I can, I think I was like the second or third youngest person in history to do it at the time. And after that, you're like, wow, I mean, no one's special. You know, like these people who you think are special online, doing special things, they just made a choice to do that thing. Like in, in the same way that then now I've made a choice, like anyone can do it, but it, it takes time to build up that self-belief. And actually, I'm sorry to go on a bit of a monologue here, but actually then that makes me think a lot about private school versus government schools. I went to a shitty school in, in Northern Ireland. And it's difficult to break out and do something amazing from there. Whereas I feel like people who go to like expensive schools, they get taught a lot more self-belief than we do in, in our shitty schools. And then that kind of perpetuates the same thing that successful people from successful families go on to have more success where people from like shitty upbringing, they stay in their lane. And, and that's quite unfair. I mean, it's the reality. I'm not moaning, but that, it's tough. That's a tough cycle to break. Yeah. I think it's like what I've seen, a lot of it's to do with like intergenerational trauma. So like if you are brought up in a family of, of no money, then the big dreams, the big aspirations, are, as you say, they're a lot harder to achieve because, you know, like if you want to just drop a, a load of money on something, then it, it speeds up the, the process a hell of a lot quicker yeah, than if you don't have the money. But then equally, if that's the, that's the blessing of a challenge. Yeah. Like yeah. at the end of the day, if we really want to change our lives, we have to change our ac actions in the present. And you can only do the things that you aspire to become by, you know, consistency and self-belief. And trauma is something that we can carry with us, but equally you can use traumatic events as like elements to support your growth journey. And and you've you've done that, right? You've kind of yeah. been to everywhere. I think you're right. I think seeing it on both sides. I think one thing that really helps people from wealthier backgrounds is the safety net. You know, like for me to start a blog and go travel and try to visit every country in the world, like if I had not made that work for me financially, which thank God I have, I'd be fucked now at 39. I'd have no career behind me. Obviously my mum's got no money to give me. I would, I'd be like my whole life would be fucked. I wouldn't be able to afford a house and kids and future and blah, blah, blah. Whereas if you're from a, if you're fortunate to be from a wealthier background, you've got a massive safety net. If it all goes wrong, you're not in the shit and that's huge. But then equally the hunger, like I, I'm very grateful for where I am and I feel that like growing up without anything, yeah, gave me the hunger to make sure I wasn't in that situation. So there, there is two sides to that, of course. What's like the biggest hurdles that you've kind of been been through in this kind of journey? And I guess like 
what's been the elements that's had the most profound impact upon you both now and like in the past because uh, what we're talking about here this it sounds like you've you've had issues with depression and and such yeah. previously so kind of how is how has that impacted who you are today yeah i would say the only time i've ever felt truly depressed because i think it's obviously a, a very strong word is i did when i was doing my every country thing i finished that and I from straight basically from my education the day I finished my education I started doing the every country thing and that took me 11 years so there was a massive black hole in my life when I finished that that was four, that was four or five years ago I finished that and I wasn't ready for that I thought I was going to like bask in the glory of my achievement and instead I was like fucking hell what do I do first of all if I've done this it probably wasn't that hard that's what I felt so like you know like when I when you had when I hadn't done it I was like, oh my God, when I hear about someone visiting every country in the world, I'm like, whoa, what a fucking legend. And then when I did it myself, you're like, well, oh, it wasn't actually that. I mean, it was hard, sure, but it's possible. If I, if I can do it, anyone can do it. So there was an anti-climax there. And then also, what the hell am I going to do now? Like I spent 11 years just fixating on this thing. And I never had, I didn't have a plan in the aftermath, which like obviously two weeks ago, I climbed Everest and hadn't haven't gone through that with the every country thing. I, I was ready for it this time. So emotionally, I felt much more prepared for the aftermath of like a big achievement so like talking about some of the adventures that you've had i guess not everybody will have followed your journey and i think this is kind of a really good um segue to kind of go into some of the highs and some of the lows and some of like the you know those moments of like flying by the seat of your pants (laughs) because there will have been them and i just think it's like it's an interesting story to tell yeah i've done a few things like obviously the every country thing I don't mean to be sanctimonious, but I feel like I did it properly. You see, you hear about these like young American girls being the fastest to visit every country, the youngest to visit every country, and like their families are funding it and they're in and out of a country in 10 minutes and all this. Like I did 11 years, like two, three, four weeks in every country for 200 countries or 187 countries. So I've got some mad stories, of course, from that, like wild stories, some, some awful stories as well, some scary stories. And then obviously, since I finished the every country thing, then I've been doing all these physical challenges and like I rode across the Atlantic and I did a marathon at the North Pole and I ran that 250 miles across the Sahara and cycled from China to Malaysia and I've done loads of stuff and obviously climbing all these mountains. But this, the, I feel like the media and, and, and social media loves the physical challenges of like climbing Everest. It's so iconic. I know that. But the stories of like, how I, I smuggled myself on this like cargo ship for four days to get to Yemen during the war because it was my second last country. And one time I, I was trying to get into Liberia during, it was during the Ebola crisis in 2015 or 2016 or something. I was in West Africa, I ended up getting arrested and imprisoned in, in Ivory Coast. And I've just got endless, endless stories. And it's a bit weird for me. Irish culture as well is not one to like promote yourself that much. It's not like the American system of like blowing your own trumpet. And then also like if I'm in the pub with my mates, when I come back from all these freaking wild trips, I tell all the people that I love, like my mom, my, my missus, my mates, on this fucking, and this happened and this happened, right? And it's me authentically telling the story the way you would tell your mates a story. And then for me, I find it then tough to keep retelling all these stories. I feel like a, I feel like a, like a, a fraud almost retelling the stories. Do you know what I mean? It's a very strange situation. And I also like you know a lot, I run a lot of trips to, to like to these wild countries through my blog to like Iraq and Mali and all this. And 
I know a lot of people who come on the trips have followed me for years and they probably want me to sit there and, and tell all these stories. But I feel a bit weird, like dominating the conversation and being like, oh, and I did this and I saw this and da, 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 da. So it's, it's a strange energy for me to, to do that. Yeah. From my experiences, I felt isolated when I came back from traveling. Like I, I did like two years solid and I, I went from, like I, I disappeared off to South Africa first for the similar reason to what you were saying about Asia. Like it was 18 runs to the pound yeah. at the time and I was just like, I'll have a bit of that. So I went over to South Africa and then, you know, South Africa, Australia, New Zealand, Fiji, um, went to America, did some bits around Europe and then went back to South America and did the Galapagos, Ecuador, Peru, bit of the Amazon. And then I ended up working for two companies, EA and Nestle, both of which sent me to nearly, well, most places apart from North Korea. So I've never been to North Korea. That, I, I, yeah, resonate with what you're saying about you feel like a fraud. Like I've always struggled with imposter syndrome, right? So if I'm talking to people about things that I've experienced, I'll always downplay it. It's almost like what you were saying, like you've, you've achieved the hundred, but yeah, like, so what, like what, what's next? Yeah. Like, uh, should I, you, you expect to feel this like high iteration, high, ex, uh, you know, sp- experience and whatever, but, um, I don't know, like that's the, that for me, that's the beauty of, of a journey of growth. Like you go through turbulent times and you are slowly but surely changing as a person and the experiences kind of mold you and shape you into who you are now and who you ultimately want to become i think it's very i think it's very important though that you do these challenges primarily for yourself because if you're waiting for external validation in the aftermath should you not get that it's going to feel like an like an empty achievement whereas if you'd like for everest for example i felt so proud of summit in everest from my upbringing and background and I've hardly updated my social media or anything since Everest. It's been about two and a half weeks since I've been back. And I feel like I really, I know how tough it was training for that, all the other mountains. The, the experience itself was brutal, by the way. <laughs> and also and expensive too. And I had to save and, and sacrifice for that too. So I really feel an internal pride with summiting that. It means that I really don't feel I need the external validation. The only reason I would feel obliged it would be more of an obligation or a, like an emotional compulsion to like as i said earlier to show people from a working class background that you can do these cool things it's not just posh guys from london who can do this stuff you know that would be the reason that i would continue to, to promote it rather than perhaps when i was younger when social media was starting to blow up and the blogging industry was new you do it a lot for for ego driven reasons you know for, for external validation as you get older and uh, as you learn about yourself more and, and try to be a good person and believe that you are ultimately you'd hope so you don't need that external validation and i find that very refreshing for me i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70% of linkedin users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on linkedin you'll miss out on great candidates like sandra start hiring professionals like a professional post your free job on linkedin.com/people today ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner 3 days in a row dreaming of something better well Hello Fresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yeah, I think it's, you know, you talk about, I remember watching podcasts that you did and you talked about social media is for egos and websites are for your bank account. And like, I'm interested to explore that a little bit more. And also you touched upon it a little earlier, but that differentiation between possibly when we both traveled in like the early 2010s and just before 2010, I was away from like 2008, 2010. Looking at that, like, yeah, definitely the experiences that you talked about before, how you could rock up in a country and you have to basically, you know, you, you go to a pub, you meet people, you start having conversations, you build up rapport and then take things from there. But like today, like I remember one of the last pieces that I did, I can't remember where it was, but all of, all I saw was just like people on like these kind of buses across wherever that you'd, you'd take like a lot across overland. And then you'd end up people just like trying to get on social media while you're like, look out the window, man, look, look what you're missing. Well, it's tough, mate. Like I'm a, I'm a huge critic of, of social media and the effect it's having on society, to be honest. And also like we curate our, our own consumption too. So even though I despair about the narcissism in social media, the the market dictates like who's popular and who's not. So clearly that this is what people desire to consume for better or worse. The Cardassians, all this nonsense. And yeah, I, I've lived in the UK or Ireland for a long time, but I see all this stuff, all these um, chicks from the, what do you call that TV show? Something about Essex. And they all look the same with their blown up asses and their blown up lips and, the guys are just as bad and like this new wave of of, of absolute self-obsession i find really really disconcerting but then the market's demanding that clearly because you know it's one thing for us to stand back and say oh no it's like inspirational accounts or like we should try to, uh, to find people that we aspire to be like but then we can see the follower count on these vacuous celebrities is huge so clearly the the public that's what the public wants like, what does that say? Yeah, but I guess like when you start on these journeys, you you don't expect followers. You don't, that's not the, the motive isn't for, it's the external validation. And I, I must say, like, I, I also struggle with it. Sometimes I look at things and go, well, that's actually a really interesting post. That deserves more than like one or two likes. But that, at the end of the day, we're not chasing likes. We're chasing experiences and we're chasing impact. Well, some are. Some, some are, some aren't, right? Yeah, yeah, true. Many are. No, exactly. So pivoting back to... You know, I was, I remember watching um, as you were rowing it, rowing that across the Atlantic and I was looking at it and you did an interview 
And yeah, I was blown away. I just wanted to kind of touch upon that experience because had you had any rowing experience before you did that? And also, you know, what was, what was it really like across those 50 odd days? No, I'd never been in a rowboat and I'd only ever been in a, like, I'd never been in a sailboat either. I'd never been in a wooden boat. I'd only ever been in a ferry going from bloody Ireland, England. And I'm not a strong swimmer. Like again, growing up, how I grew up, like we didn't go to the swimming pool and have swimming lessons or anything like that the way I grew up. So I had to take these swimming lessons before I did it. And, it was a pretty brutal, like rowing an ocean, the way it works is you're in a boat that's kind of like the length of a room and there's four of us and ours was completely unsupported. Like we had no safety boats, nothing. And then the way I would try to explain it to people is that like you're either rowing, you do two hours rowing, two hours resting, uh, 24 hours a day, so all through the night and everything. And um, when you're not rowing, two people are living essentially like under the equivalent of your kitchen table. Do you know what I mean? Like you're living under your kitchen table for two months or rowing, like getting smashed by waves. So in terms of like comfort levels, it's awful. In terms of actual physical like endeavor, I remember when I signed up to do it, I was thinking like fucking hell, rowing, like think on the row machine in the, in the gym. I was like, God, rowing two hours every every other set of two hours or 12 hours a day. Like, how the hell can you do that? Uh, like, the thought of doing that on a row machine, it'd kill you. But actually, the current is going in the same direction. So it's helping a lot. Uh, like, it doesn't help how, discom- how much discomfort you're in and how you're trapped under the bloody kitchen table for two months, but it helps you a lot with your propulsion towards the Caribbean. But I couldn't get off that boat quick enough. Yeah, I'd imagine. What was the craziest ex- like time during those 50-odd days that you experienced? There must have been something that like happened. You're like, oh, shit. You know, because I've never been in a boat before, like I say, like, like that, and I'd never rowed before until day one. And as soon as I got in the boat, I was so sick as well. I was so seasick the first few days. And, like, and I love physical challenges, right? And then I, I realized it wasn't as physical as I thought it was going to be. It was all been, like the mental battle. And as soon as I, I did two hours rowing, two hours resting, two hours rowing again. And then the second, like, so I was only eight, two, four, six, eight hours in, I was back in the, like, in the cabin like this, waiting for my turn to row again. And I was like, this is awful. I have made a huge mistake. <laughs> I was like, I am eight hours in and I'm going to be on this. And it feels like 88 and I'm on this for two months. Wow, this is going to be hard. And I really then struggled mentally for the first well, for all of it, of course, but the first five, ten days was like I was in ter- I was in mental turmoil because you can't quit. The only way you can quit is like you could fake an injury and then SOS and another boat. Like there's like a kind of unwritten rule that boats help each other's help each other. So even if it's like a big expensive tanker, they'll come and help you. It's just like an unwritten rule of the ocean because it's so dangerous. And so the only way you do hear sometimes, if you, and I shouldn't say this actually, because the rowing and the rowing ocean rowing industry is quite protective of itself, but I don't care. Uh, so if you ever hear about anyone who's got a back injury, like, oh, I've injured my back, they've quit. They're not injured. You know what I mean? That's the only way you can get off. Because if you don't crack your head, you have to fake some kind of injury if you want to quit. So like a back injury is a, a very easy way to get out of it. But I, I'm not about to, to to do that. So I was just thinking, like, obviously, I'm not going to quit. So I'm just stuck in this bloody thing for two months. I mean, there's just nothing. You're just trapped. And when I'm doing like an ultra marathon or even climbing a big mountain or like North Pole, South Pole, whatever, even if it's a two-month thing, like Everest was two months, 
there's joy. There's a lot of joy in the moment. It's, it's hell sometimes, and you're scared for your life and stuff and all these expeditions. That's true. But you keep your eyes on your prize. You know what you're in it for. You've trained hard. And there's moments of joy that break up these tough times and scary times. But when you're rowing an ocean, there's basically no joy. There's, not, there's no respite. It's all shit, basically. Whereas, like, when you're at base camp and you're having moments of you joking around and stuff and all these other... Even in the ultramarathons, it's, it's kind of funny. And, like, when you're in agony, if you've done, like, a 200 mile... If anyone's ever done, like, a 200 mile, your body's screaming. You can't stop for a second and take a pee. And you've got, like, like you got a few minutes respite. Whereas with that boat, you're just stuck in that, like, stuck like this or you're rowing. And I feel, like, vaguely proud of doing it, but I wouldn't recommend it to someone. There's a lot better ways to spend your time and money and do cool stuff that than the ocean. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because like when I saw you do it and then there was a link on there, I looked at it and I was like, ah, oh, 14 grand, maybe could get like some sponsors in, maybe mm. do it. But then with my mind, I'm always looking at things as I want to achieve set goals and challenges myself. Is that the reason that some of the tasks that you've, you've done such as the Rome where you say it's fucking shit. Are you doing these things just to tick them off on a list or what's the underlying oh, motive? Oh, no, you know, it's so I'd never done a marathon before, right? Because it was, my whole adult life until recently was doing that every country thing. So I was completely consumed by that. And I'm a very type A driven person, right? So I, that was my goal. And I've just got blinkers on until I achieve my goal. And then once I finished, uh, like I didn't know what to do with my life. And I was, it was really a tough time. And then I started doing all this fitness stuff. I mean, I'd always been sporty before, but that all got put on, on pause because of the every country thing. So that was over a decade. And then... When I started, I was like, okay, I'm, I want to go to the North Pole. I want to be the first person to do the, all the mountains, the poles, and, and every country. I was like, right, I need to get to the North Pole. And then the cheapest way to visit the North Pole is there's an Irish guy like who runs this extreme adventure thing, and, and you can run a, a marathon at the North Pole, right? And that's ironically the cheapest way to visit the North Pole. So I was like, right, so I signed up for that. And then I did the, and I'd never done a marathon before. And I'd never been in that temperature before either. So I borrowed my mate's ski clothes. And I flew on this like Russian military thing, got dropped at the North Pole. And then when I was there, everyone else was all like into all this, like all posh English people basically, or all into all this like extreme stuff. And they'd all done loads of shit before. And I was like, holy fuck, it's freezing as well. My clothes weren't good enough at all. I had no idea what minus 40 felt like. As soon as I landed, my eyelashes and my nostrils and all were freezing. I was like, I'm fucked here. I don't have the right gear. So then we get into this like specialist tent. I'm talking to people and they're like, oh yeah, what marathons have you run before? I was like, I've never run a marathon before. They're like, and your first one's the North Pole. I'm like, well, here I am anyway. Don't freak, I'm freaking out as it is. Don't freak me out anymore. And then we, we get like, someone rings this bell or something to say, like, okay, the marathon's going to start in two hours from now. Because it's, it's midnight sun, right? The sun never sets. So it's light 24 hours a day at the North Pole in summer. And then I'm sitting in my tent. It's like a, there's like 20 people in each tent. And everyone starts changing into all this specialist gear. And they're like, Johnny, didn't you hear? Um, it's starting in an hour or whatever. I'm like, put your gear on. I'm like, this is my gear. This is the only gear I have. <laughs> so then I ran it. Anyway, I did really well. I finished eighth. And um, I met this other guy. I, I was like, oh, I'm a hero. Like, I'm running a marathon in North Pole. This is the hardest thing ever. And some guy says to me, oh, no, this isn't the hardest thing ever. You should do you should do this marathon de Sapla thing. It's 250 miles through the Sahara, like 50 degrees heat. And I was like, well, fucking hell. If you, if that, like, I feel like if you're going to run and challenge yourself, do the hardest race in the world, right? And that's what I thought I was doing with the North Pole. So then I was like, right, well, I'm going to have to do this bloody 
marathon to sample thing. So I signed up the day I finished the North Pole Marathon, I signed up for it. So then I was training for it and then I did it. And it was quite hard. And then the guy beside me in the tent, in my tent, like you sleep in the same tent every night and with strangers, and this was a cool English guy, also a posh English guy, some officer from the from Marine or something, I don't know. He was lovely though. And He's like, and I was like, well, this is pretty hardcore, isn't it? He's like, yeah, it is kind of hardcore, but I rode across the Atlantic last year. Like, that was really hardcore. And I was like, for fuck's sake, right, well, I'll do that then. <laughs> okay, so that's how I ended up doing that. <laughs> so I like, I feel like I really want to challenge myself. And also, like, and this is kind of um, self-flagellation, but when you challenge yourself, truly challenge yourself, people talk about challenging themselves, but are they truly challenging themselves? Have you been in that dark moment where you're crying and you don't know whether you're going to go on or continue or quit? Like that's truly challenging yourself and you're at your absolute breaking point. And I kept succeeding in these challenges as well. So I really want to feel like, where's my limit? How good am I? Am I average? Am I better than average? Am I elite? So I keep putting like, okay, I'm going to climb Everest then. Let's try that. Okay, I'm going to go do an expedition to the South Pole. Let's try that. And I want to see where my breaking point is. Like, And I want to see, or do I not have a breaking point? That's what I, I hope is the case that like, I really believe as long as you can physically lift your leg up and take one extra step and you can keep going, right? And I've yet to quit. So I want to see where that point is. And, and who knows, maybe I'll never reach it. What's your viewpoint? I remember hearing you talk about this, so it seems like a, another perfect segue into it. But what's your viewpoint as to suffering as an in, essential ingredient to success? Oh, I think it's everything, man. I think it's absolutely everything. I think, yeah, like the level you're willing to suffer is 100% correlated to the level of success you'll have in your life. I think that 100%. And that doesn't just mean physically suffering by climbing a big mountain. That's like how hard you go to work, how hard you work out in the gym, how much you fight the urge to eat your Ben and Jerry's at night when, when you know you've got to train the next day, booze, drugs, women, womanizing, everything, like discipline and suffering. Like you've got to make your sacrifices. And this cliche, which I really believe, you have to choose your hard. Like working hard, working hard and hustling for money and stuff, that's hard. Of course that's hard. It's stressful. It's anxiety-inducing. Like trying to make money online to be free, that's fucking hard. But being broke is harder. And like suffering to train to do the hardest races in the world or cycle across continents or visit every country in the world, that's hard. It takes years. But not loving yourself because you haven't fulfilled your potential, that's harder. So I feel like it's a case of acute suffering, like a series of extreme acute doses of suffering like will we'll ultimately bring you satisfaction or you can have that dull ache of failure and unfulfilled promise for the rest of your life. And that's far worse. But acute suffering is hard, but you know it's finite. Whereas to not fulfill your potential and live a life unlived, like that's the, surely that should be everyone's fear. But many people just drift through life and don't self-reflect and uh, maybe we'll have one epiphany and it'll be too late. And that terrifies me. So I make sure... I won't feel like that. And to be honest, like I have had loads of moments. I was uh, I climbed this wild mountain in in, Punchak, uh, in West Papua in St. Malo's Papua New Guinea. Anyway, long story, but I nearly died. And also, I fell on a volcano one time, and I and I, I really nearly died. I, I was like holding on to the, this. I thought there was a piece of grass, and I went to like look over it, and it wasn't a piece of grass. It was a, it was a, a, like a tree growing out. So I just fell, and I turned around and grabbed the grass, and I was thought anyway I was going to die, and someone came and pulled me out. And then I was in this big car crash once in, in uh, Burkina Faso. I thought I was going to die. And 
all those times when I thought, fuck, I'm going to die, all I thought was like, I really, I was upset for my mom and my missus losing me, but I didn't feel any regret. I didn't feel like I'd wasted my life at all. And I, I feel that that is huge, basically. I feel like the, the comfort that I got from that, knowing that like I feel, I feel like I'm really doing my best to, to, to feel like I've lived my life the way I should live my life. Yeah, definitely. Like the regret piece, it it haunts people. And like, I guess like, especially, you know, back to what you're saying about like money and early years advantage, like, you know, there's a lot of issues already at the very beginning of people's journey that can kind of limit people, but the, to be limited by your own decisions and by regret like i think that's the biggest biggest it's fear isn't it it's that cliche about daring to be great like fear of failure you've got to risk failure to achieve anything if you keep risking failure to achieve stuff you will fail many times and that's shit like failing is shit like i've done it so many times failed startups failed expeditions but eventually like you just keep plugging away and two weeks ago i was standing on the summit of everest because of that mentality you know at the time when you fail, whatever it is you're failing, it feels like the end of the world, but you keep going. And and as long as you keep going, like eventually you'll succeed and then the failure is long forgotten. But to risk failure, to put it all online as well, or to tell your friends and family, loved ones, that you're going to do this, you're going to do that, and then try to do it and fail, like that's terrifying. But like I say, it's more terrifying to do nothing with your life. Yeah, and I guess it's back to that, like, you know, you've got to be willing to suffer. You've got to be willing to take on the pain to like even reflect on the failures that you make in order to like progress forward. And yeah, David Goggins has this concept called the cookie jar. And I remember when I started doing these ultra marathons, like when I did the first time I did that Sahara run, I thought I was training hard. Now, years later, I am a bit of a beast. Now I used to think I was a beast and now I feel like I actually am a beast. And it's, you build the building blocks and you build on it and you build on it and you build on it. And eventually like, you can do anything in the end and he his idea is that like anytime when the going gets really tough your first time you run 100k or 100 miles or cycle a thousand kilometers or whatever it's so hard and you want to quit like i say you get in that dark moment and you and you're like you're crying and you're questioning everything and you're in agony and then you pull through it hopefully you pull through it and then that's one cookie in a cookie jar and the next time you're in that situation and you're thinking, oh, I'm going to quit and cry and I hate myself. Why did I sign up for this? Why am I doing this? I could just be playing PlayStation sitting at home. You can go back to that cookie jar and you can eat that cookie that you earned the last time because you know you've been in this situation before and, and, and that's fuel for you. And then it, what happened like for me doing all this mad shit is that that jar is, is getting filled up regularly now. I'm doing mental stuff all the time. And your the, the belief system of what you think is possible then is like, you don't even need the cookies anymore because you know they're there. You've got so many in the jar, you know they're there. So you're like, okay, what? It's just a matter of like, how much time do I have? How epic a thing can I do? Because I'm sure I'll get through it. Yeah, for sure. I think, um, yeah, like it's just, it's back to that challenge and back to the consistency and understanding that like, whilst suffering is a key to success, pain compounds. So if you can compound it enough to kind of learn from it rather than like let it overwhelm you, then you can, you know, you can achieve anything. And that's, that's like the essence of any good journey. Like people have to go on these like highs and lows to really understand themselves. Yeah, but you have to truly commit. You have to truly suffer. So many people think they suffer. So many people think they commit. Like commitment, even the word itself means like it's been watered down. Like to say you're going to do something, it's so cheap. Like whereas 
if you take ownership over your true commitment and anything you actually genuinely commit by the definition of the word to, you're going to actually do, again then, that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. That, so then as you do that more and more and you never let you never fall through in your commitment, that means that anything you ever choose to do, you will achieve it. Of course, you're not going to run a sub-10, 100 metres, but you could run a sub-230 marathon because it's just about training. Um, as, uh, when you know that your commitment actually genuinely means you're committed, anything you sign up for, you're going to achieve, and that's massive. And equally, if you commit to a million things and don't follow through, that becomes self-fulfilling in the reverse, which is a really dangerous position to be in. It's also about suffering in shadows as well. Like at the end of the day, if you, you know, back to what you were saying about social media, like a lot of people are posting like this perfect life, this perfect thing that they're doing or whatever, or just posting the good. And it's missing the real arc, which is like the, 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 the pain and the turmoil and the lessons that you go through. Like people aren't this like mechanic mechanism where everything's just like the perfect world. It's like, no, no, no. You need, you need the highs and the lows to really experience the beauty of life and, that's like, that's the thing. And, you know, like I, I chatted to a guy actually had done that, that North Pole marathon. It was a guy called Mike Wardy and he's this ultra marathon legend that I think he held the record for it for a while. And I think it's just been broken, but the stuff that he does, like, it's just the small incremental steps forward. And, you know, like he didn't start off as a ultra runner, like he started off in lacrosse and then his mate introduced him. I think it was his mum. His mate's mum said about running Boston Marathon, and likewise to what you, you were saying about people almost like dropping a word in your ear, and it inspires you to do more. Like he did. He went on and ran Boston, enjoyed that, and then subsequently, yeah, like his has all these FTKs all over the world, and it's it's inspiring. But you know, like his journey and and like yours, like if you spent all the time posting everything then you miss the experience. Yeah, and you know, like I can't, I can't remember the actual quote, but there's a guy called Damien Brown. He's an Irish guy, a lovely guy. He's an adventurer too. Uh, and he, I don't think it's his quote, but he said something once that really resonated with me. He's like, the person you, you are is the like the behavior that you're carrying out when no one else is looking. You know what I mean? You want to row the o- an ocean or run an ultra or whatever. Like it's not social media posts of the two workouts that you've done this month that'll get you there. It's, your alarm goes off at 5 a.m. You've been up late at night working. You've only had four hours sleep, but you've got you've got a 50K run through this morning because that's on your training regime. And no one gives a shit about checking your social media at five in the morning and you keep your mouth shut and you put your earphones in and you put your sneakers on and you go out for four hours. And no one sees that. And it's that behavior that will allow you to be like the true best version of yourself and, and hope like he's epic that guy and he, he's done loads of cool stuff but that's the behavior that got him there when no one's when no one's looking it's not the selfie and then it's not the selfie in the expensive gym like as you're curling something for your biceps you know what i mean it's the grind yeah love the grind so i've got a few questions from from our audience that they post to you so the first one is um What's your favorite slang word that you use that confuses the hell out of people? <laughs> you know, I'm Irish, obviously, but I've, li- I've been living in Asia for 15 years. Like, my missus is Thai. Um, so I've got to be like, I've got a watered down accent now so people understand me. But a word that I use all the time, I think maybe you use it in England too, is knackered. Do you use that in England? Yeah. 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 <laughs> 
I've got three kids under three. I'm knackered all the time. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, because what I'm how I live my life, I'm permanently bloody knackered running this, cycling that, whatever. <laughs> I'm knackered all the time, and it's I'm American. Like most of the, say probably half the people who come on my blog trips with me are Americans, and they never have a clue what I'm talking about, which is probably good because me moaning about being knackered all the time is not great. <laughs> also, if you had the opportunity to speak to your younger self right at the beginning of your journey, what advice would you give to him? You know, I've, I've been asked this before or something similar, but I am feel very fulfilled and proud of where I am at 39. I've made a lot of mistakes as well and hurt people along the way, like I'm sure we all have. Uh, so, of course, I wish I hadn't done those things. But where I am now and what I've done and with our nonprofit that we have and, and everything, I would be very reticent to say anything to my younger self to at the risk of derailing the journey that took me here. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. I would be wor- I'd be worried of the butterfly effect. I'm happy with where I am and who I am and and I don't want to alter the, that journey. I guess like bef- I I'm going to ask another question um just because I, d- I haven't touched upon the non-profit but like tell me a little bit more about the non-profit work that you do. Um, but yeah, it's been a big success. We've donated about 300 grand over the last four or five years. And I was in West Africa on this like Cape Town to Casablanca overland trip, which was hardcore. And I knew this Senegalese guy who ran uh, like a grassroots NGO charity in, in, in the south of Senegal. And I was slowly making my way to Senegal and I wanted to help him. Me and my mate, a Canadian guy, Josh. So what he's like anyway we're like i'm gonna whack something on my social media and say we're gonna raise seven grand for this guy we wanted to build um like a market stall there's there's these ladies south of senegal a community that we knew in a place called zigginshore that the women are selling their wares every day at the local market and they're sitting on the floor in the dust and the dirt and we just wanted a simple project where we were going to build them an actual market stall so they could sit on chairs with tables where they could display their stuff and just have a little bit more dignity and comfort. Nothing major, but nice little, it'd be a li- nice lifestyle change for them rather than be grinding out in dirt. So that was the goal. And I said like, okay, I want everyone to donate to this, please. I'll also donate to it, of course, too. And then one, once we reach our target of seven grand, I'm gonna randomly pick a name out of the hat of all the people who donated. And one person out of the group, I'll pay for my own money, I'll fly you to Senegal to, with me and my mate and we'll go and see the market stalls getting built and where the money went and, and you'll get to travel around Senegal for fun too with us after. So I did that. We picked out this like random American girl. She'd never left the USA. <laughs> and uh, what happened was I had like 20 people messaging me being like, can, can I just come? Like, I'll just pay for my own trip. Can I just come? I want to come and see the project too. I was like, oh, oh, like, can we just pay you to come? And I was like, fuck, yeah, yeah, sure. I didn't know what I was doing. So then I like made up a number. I was like, okay, it'll be $999 for two weeks, which is wild cheap, like 700 quid or whatever for two weeks. <laughs> and they came, like 10 people or whatever. And we did the project. We did the charity donation. It was great. And I lost loads of money because the trip cost far more than that. And I had no idea what, what these trips cost. So it cost me thousands of dollars because the cost price was more than the bloody price I charged all these people, which was stupid. But anyway, it, it was a success. And I was like, wow, like that. I was shocked that people wanted to come and do that. So then the following year, I live in Thailand, as I say, and, and we know a monk 
who started a, a non-profit school in, in the west of Cambodia, just on the Thai border. And the kids have got nothing and they've never had a playground in the community before. So I was like, well, let's build them a playground. So I did the same thing again, raised 10 grand and then raised another 10 grand with ticket sales. This time we knew, I knew in advance because of what happened in Senegal, that people would want to come. So we sold 20 tickets. So 20 people came and we built this playground for this community. And then that, we just continued to do that. We've done about 30 projects, malaria clinics, kindergartens, like uh, homes for the homeless, loads of stuff, all right, water wells, loads of stuff like Ethiopia, Sri Lanka, Cambodia, Vietnam, Thailand, all over. Is that where you are now then in respect to what your mindset is? It's, it's to give back to others that need. Yeah, and also travel, like coming from my upbringing, like travel changed my life. You know, I went from being broke to being financially free. I went from like being a nobody to like fulfilling all my dreams and hopefully to be the first person to do this thing I'm trying to do. Like, it's, And travel did all that for me and I'm very grateful and I feel like I owe, tra- I owe the travel world something back. You know what I mean? Like karmically. So yeah, it's nice. We're, the next one we're doing is a big food donation and, and we haven't launched it yet, but it'll be April next year, exclusive. <laughs> we're going skiing in Afghanistan. It's funny how the world works. You know, I just, on my Everest climb, I was with a guy from Afghanistan. He was the first Afghani to climb Everest and he succeeded. He was in my group and I'm going with him. He runs a, a non-profit there. And obviously since the Taliban have taken over, people are struggling and you know, we're going to do this big food donation. Amazing. Looking at like others that maybe have been through or maybe in a similar position that you were in at the very beginning, like what advice would you would you give to them? I would say a few things. First of all, if you're lucky enough to have English as your mother tongue, you can pack it all in if you're unhappy. And step one, go and be an English teacher in China, Vietnam, Japan, Korea, Thailand, wherever. Asia for me is, is the coolest place. And also, also you can, salaries aren't great, but you can survive and live a fun life. So I would say like, if you're genuinely miserable, miserable, that's instantly you could do that. Three months from now, you could be living in Bangkok teaching English. So I'd say that, and that's what I did. That's how I initially changed my route. And while I would do, while I was, while I would be doing that, I would work out how to make money online because that's the key to true freedom. Not some bloody, I'm not selling some bloody course. That's not, what, that's not what I'm trying to do. I don't have any courses to sell, but I would say you need to work out how to make money online if you want to be free. For me, that was blogging. I think that's very, I, I personally think that's a very easy way. And the thing is, steer clear of bloody Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, being a TikToker, Instagram, or YouTuber. It's all ego. Very few people make money doing that. I know people with millions of followers personally millions of subscribers on YouTube and they're struggling. Like they're always in my inbox asking me how I make money from websites because the facade that people pro- project on their, as a TikToker, or Instagram or a YouTuber, it's not true. It's tough for every Jake Paul. There is a billion people struggling to make 500 bucks a month, years, years and years, a decade later, even though they've got hundreds of thousands of followers. So I'd steer clear of that web. If you want to make money online, I'd say websites are the way to go. And in that respect, you just need to learn a bit of SEO. And I would also say, do a hundred kilometer ultra in one shot. Get training for it and do that. That'll change your life. You'll know what suffering is. You'll know what achievement is. You'll know what dedication it takes. And, and to be dedicated on it will help you so much in future life. 
definitely. Like looking ahead, what message of wisdom do you hope your future self might share with you, especially as you take on another challenge? Uh-huh. Who knows? Let's say I'm trying to have kids at the moment, so I'm sure it'll be something about that. Because like, all these stuff, like climbing Everest, all this, every country, blah, 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 it's all very selfish. I'm very aware of that. It's ego-driven and it's selfish. There's no doubt about that. Any personal achievement for anyone, guy or girl, stems from these things. And I hope that that will dampen with kids. I don't want to be a selfish parent. My mom was so selfless, which is why she was such a good parent, even though the situation and circumstances were tough. And I really hope that I can be like that for my future kids. Yeah, definitely. It's yeah, it's a journey. It's good, but it's it's definitely well worth it. From a key thought and takeaway, like we we like to finish with like a key thought and takeaway for people that are listening. And um, what from your experiences being through the highs, the lows, um, the the crazy, the craziness. What would be your key thought and takeaway that you'd like to leave with our audience? Just don't live an average life. It's such a beautiful planet, and with the internet. You can do anything. You, like as soon as you make your first dollar online, you can do anything with your life. Don't live an average life. Don't settle for an average life. You don't have to. Yeah, amazing. Thank you so much for your time. There's loads more that we could have covered, but yeah, like I appreciate that your time. It's been absolutely awesome. So thank you. No worries, Peter. Thank you, mate. Thank you for listening to the Purpose Made podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to Purpose Made wherever you normally get your podcasts to hear the latest news and views. You can also find and follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter or contact Peter directly to connect, inquire about Purpose Made or request to be featured on the podcast. We look forward to welcoming you back soon for another episode. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.